Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of React Native Radio. Today on our panel, we have Charles Maxwood. Hey, folks, uh, the book's now out on paperback, so we'll put a link in the show notes. Chris Reyes. Hey, everybody. And longtime guest, first-time panelist, Jamin Holmgren. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. And I'm Josh Justice. Uh, I'm glad to be here as well. Uh, so we today for the discussion topic, uh, Chris had a suggestion. Uh, Chris, why don't you introduce us and get us thinking about it? Yeah, so I kind of wanted to treat this as um, an idea of like a like a developer shopping spree episode, but in terms of when you're starting a new application, what kind of libraries you kind of uh, reach for, for styling, navigation, and even just kind of bootstrapping your app. So I thought it would be cool if we each kind of talked about what we do and why we choose it and any kind of learning references for those who are kind of getting started in the field and if they wanted to kind of learn more about what we're using and why we use it. Infinite Red is a U.S.-based consultancy specializing in React and React Native. They do mobile app and web design and development. They are deeply involved in the React and React Native open source communities, publish the React Native newsletter with 10,000 subscribers, and are involved with the React Native core development. If you have a project and need design or engineering help from an experienced team to take it all the way from concept to completion, get in touch with Infinite Red. You can find them at infinite.red. Make sure to mention you heard about them in this ad. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I can kick us off just to kind of get the idea of what I was thinking. So I'm working on a course right now and I kind of wanted to build like a, like a clone of Bare Notes. I don't know if anybody else uses Bare Notes. I'm it's, obsessed uh, with it. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. It I don't. Changed my uh, can, can you give me a brief rundown of what it, what it is? It's just, it's, the, it's your best friend. <laughs> 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 no, uh, so, I mean, if you're a note type person, there's Apple has their note app. I mean, everybody has a notes app, obviously, but Bear is kind of iOS centric. I mean, but they do such a good job of syncing across devices. So it's kind of like Apple's notes app, but like, uh, for lack of a better word on steroids, it's kind of next level. You can kind of categorize your apps with like uh, hashtags and categories, and then it's got a great search. It's got a good cloud sync and it's got themes. So I love dark theme, you know, so that's one of the things when I was working on Apple notes, I, I don't know if it works now with night mode, but before you only had that yellow screen where with uh bear notes, you can kind of customize your theme and then you can also do code snippets in it and use markdown. And it's just, it's a great app. Yeah, I do a lot of blog writing and uh, in Markdown. And so Bear has great Markdown support and it also has really great quick synchronizing. Um, when I was using a Dropbox-based solution, I would often edit a file uh, and then close my laptop or quit out of the iOS app and it wouldn't synchronize in time. And so I get conflicts. So I get much fewer conflicts between devices with Bear Notes. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, my team has uh, just started using notion uh recently which is i mean like, like christopher said there's there's a million of them out there but um this is the first time i've not had to push something in order to adopt it so that's a good sign <laughs> but it's still still kind of an experiment uh we're gonna see if it if it ends up being a big thing but christopher i don't i don't think you were just talking about your notes you had another another thing you were gonna do so yeah yeah but yeah go before i get going notion i use notion too and notion is such a great team thing too so that's a great use case. And that too, I mean, for people getting out there, go see what Notion is doing. And if you just want to get started learning, try replicating these big apps because, you know, when you're working at a big company, these are the kind of things you do and you kind of stand on the shoulders of other people. They're doing cool stuff and make it your own. You know what I mean? But uh, so yeah, for me, the UI of Bear, 
is super user-friendly and I just thought it would be a nice intro project for someone getting started in React Native. So you kind of come in and you have an accordion, uh, which is, or not accordion, but you know, a list of notes, right? And then you select your note and then you go to a full screen of that note. So right there, I'm kind of thinking, there's a UI toolkit I can use, uh, navigation. So what am I gonna kind of go for? So the three I chose, um, because I wanted to kind of gear it towards people getting started, I usually would do Expo, but uh, for this case, I chose React Native CLI, just kind of keep it uh, kind of small and simple because I wanted people to kind of set up their development environments for Android and Xcode as well, because I feel like that's a super valuable uh, skill to have. So that's why I chose React Native CLI as the, the bootstrapping aspect of the application. And uh, for navigation, I chose React Navigation because I feel like people coming from the web, um, it's the most transferable kind of skill. And so if you're bouncing back and forth between React Native and React Navigation, or sorry, React Native and React Web, um, it's th that kind of smooth transition and it's not super difficult. There's no learning curve and it's just really easy to use. And as the idea of nested navigator, so if you wanted to do a tab navigator, or like a side panel, it's pretty easy. You know, you just kind of pull in, you import your navigator and you set up your JSON or, you know, your JavaScript object and it gets you going. And then for styling, I chose uh, native base just because I like the boilerplates. It has that expo. I mean, both React, uh, React Native, I'm blanking out. What's the other one that I really like? The UI toolkit we talked about last week, Josh? Uh, React Native paper? There's elements as well. I forget which one you mentioned. I know there was a different one. Uh, I really like React Native Elements as well, but I went with Expo because it had the use case of the accordion of what I was looking for, that kind of collapsible list. So I just thought that was user-friendly and people kind of getting started, had that Expo app you can kind of grab for. The data layer is always a big interest to me. Um, are you just using uh, component state and context or anything more robust than that? My idea for this was to, yeah, use just the context API and I wanted to be able to use the, you know, use context hook. Um, it's pretty simple. You know, I was just going to have like a, you know, a list, like a object and each object had like a note title and then um, in the body, like a body key that would have like the body of the notes because I'm starting simple. And that would just kind of be in context. And then, and then I wanted to use a React Native uh, async storage to kind of persist so we didn't have to worry about working with an API. So I think React Native community does async storage, which is another uh, great package if you just kind of want to get that local storage feel in React Native. I don't know if you guys have worked with async storage yet or what you guys think of it. Yeah, we've... We've used it quite a bit. Um, and it was actually, I think, in the, the React Native core and was extracted as part of the Lean Core effort uh, into the community. Um, and uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's been kind of a fun thing to work on. Uh, I, I worked on the, the web view extraction, uh, moving it into the community. And so there's a lot of high quality components that have come out of, the, out of React Native core and been able to improve once they hit the, the community. And async storage is definitely one of them. Interesting timing on async storage. The release candidate of version two has just come out in the last uh, 24 hours. So if you are using async storage, uh, give uh, the version two release candidate a try. I haven't gotten to look to see what new features are in there, but it looks like there's um, there's a good amount. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. And seeing that's one of the things too. I hadn't um, <clears throat> done 
uh, Bootstrap, you know, got an app started for a while. So even when I was going through the docs, because I had just got a new laptop, I didn't realize that they moved out the actual CLI too. So you had to use MPX to kind of get it going. So mm-hmm. that's another good tidbit to give out there is when you are getting started, always go back to the GitHub or your documentation and make sure that you're kind of up and you're kind of doing the most recent thing because I was just going to do what I always did, you know? And then good thing I went and checked the sites because there were new steps to be concerned about. Christopher, did you, uh, with React Navigation, did you use the new version five API with the the component-based API? I, I think it's still in beta, so wouldn't wouldn't blame you if you didn't, but there's a new component-focused API for React Navigation now on version five. No, I didn't. I did four, which I kind of, if I would, you know, I didn't really look at the beta stuff just because I wasn't sure when yeah. things are going to be released and stuff. But yeah, you know, that that is a kind of a cool thing to know about. And then definitely want to check that out. Yeah, it is. It's I, I think they've done a really good job of kind of identifying uh, a new direction to go with it. Um, it's really almost a new library in some ways, like the, the underlying uh, code is, is there's a lot of similarities and, and, and same code, but the, uh, the API is quite different. Um, you know, instead of having kind of an imperative style, it has just a declarative like JSX style uh, component. Uh, uh, driven API. And and so I haven't actually used it yet. I've just kind of, you know, I saw them announce it at React Native EU and I'm I'm interested to see how it works out for us. I'm excited about that as well. Um, you know, I've programmed in a lot of different environments. And so the idea of, oh, this is a more imperative API. I was like, I'm okay with that. Like, I'll work with that. But just in the last few days, we've gotten into on our client project with React Na- Navigation, some of the complexities. Um, we ran into a situation where uh, components aren't uh, unmounted and remounted when you navigate off of them. And I'm, I know there's a lot of great reasons for that. And I certainly don't know a better way to build a navigation library. Right. But just the fact that that wasn't like I expect for the normal React and React Native experience, it just showed me the value of consistently using components, consistently using a declarative approach. And so I'm excited to see where version 5 goes and if it uh, makes that experience a bit more predictable. Yeah, that's a the mount and unmount. I was looking into that, and I think that's a little bit not a gotcha, but with when you use the stack navigator, which is that kind of for those listening and you're not sure, that's the kind of that card fill where you're putting cards on top of a stack. Um, when you do a stack navigator, there are some kind of gotchas to watch out for when you're mounting and unmounting components. If you are using the class based component and you work, like tap into that lifecycle method of component will unmount. But, um, you know, to go back to React Navigation, too, that even the install process between 58 and, or if you're on React Native 58 and 60 is a little bit different because you were able to use React Native Link, and now you need to do a little bit more inside your Android file for setting up gesture handler, too. So these are some of the things I ran into, but I just really want to shout out to React Navigation's documentation. It's just amazing. It's so good. So thank you, guys. Yeah, they've really done an amazing job with documenting it and uh, uh, just just in general, uh, supporting it and, and building it forward. So I guess uh, I can I can maybe go next and and talk about a stack that I would use for for a you know a side app or something like that. I did actually start building a side app earlier this year. I uh, I'm an NBA fan. I uh, just went to the Portland Trailblazers game on Sunday actually. And uh, so a couple of days ago. So the, uh, the, the big thing is um, 
Like I, I want to track, like there's a, they have a new, new roster this year. There's a lot of new players. I want to track their, their different players. Uh, so I wanted to build a little app where I could just put, uh, put different players in and, and, uh, track their stats and different things like that. So, uh, also the popularity of the, of the player, like how much do I like this player? Is this player like someone that I really enjoy having on the team or, or what? Uh, so I started, um, and built the app. Uh, I, I built it using Ignite, which of course is, I'm sure a lot of people have heard if you've, they've listened to this show, I know that you've talked about it in previous ex, uh, episodes. Uh, so my company, Infinite Red, has, uh, has built Ignite and it's, I think, been out since 2016. So it's been out for almost four years now. Um, so it's been around for quite a while and uh, it has kind of a predefined stack uh, that that we use at Infinite Red, and basically the way that it works is that only if something, um, only if we use something in an actual client project, because we do, you know, we're a consultancy and we do client projects. The, the only if we use it and it's successful, uh, and we we can come back and like in the retro say, yeah, this was worth it. Uh, do we then include it into the stack? And so this happened with React Navigation because uh, before that, I think we we're using. Um, React native router flux or something like that. It was like the older version uh, had kind of a cool API, but it wasn't super well supported and a little janky in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, React navigation came out and uh, just the sheer amount of effort that was being put into it was like really intriguing to us. Like, okay, this, this is for real. Like they're really trying to make this the, uh, the navigation, uh, you know, solution for React native. And, um, and it's really just continued to to evolve and and grow. So React Navigation, uh, I, I was really happy to hear that they introduced version five with the component based API. And uh, every every release that comes out, it's it just gets a little better and a little better uh, every every time. So that's what we do use for navigation. That's what I used for this little hobby app too. Um, <clears throat> and it worked really well. I I was uh, so one of the things about it, even though. Even though I, um, uh, even though I've worked with React Native for a long time, basically since it came out, uh, I'm in my role at, at Infinite Red. I don't, I don't do it every day. You know, I'm, I, I'm CTO, so I run the team. Um, and so when I'm working on my own app, you know, it's a little different story. I, I'm, I'm looking for things from a little different perspective. Uh, but it was very easy to use, and uh, I was able to use the Stack Navigator and. And uh, everything was set up for me. So that's one of the benefits of Ignite is, you know, you don't have to go in and patch uh, Android files or anything like that. That's all done for you during the setup step. So when, when you generate the, the project, it'll generate a brand new React Native app using the React Native CLI. And then uh, it copies in the files, um, runs them through, you know, their template files, like their EJS files, basically template files using JavaScript. And it'll run them through uh, and generate a project that has the right names and, and you know, set up. And then it will also go in and patch the files that were generated during the React Native init process. So you'll, um, you'll actually get your Android files and iOS files uh, patched uh, before you start. So you're not having to really mess around with, with some of those things. Um, and it just comes like ready to go. Like you can just start using it. So that's one of the benefits of, of Ignite is that you like we take care of that 
because we need it ourselves. So uh, we're going to, we're going to make sure it works. So that, that's a big thing uh, for state management. We use MobX state tree. So we used to use uh, Redux, uh, but uh, we got a little tired of Redux and uh, we found MobX state tree, tried it on a project. It worked really well. And so we moved it into the, to the boilerplate and, and started using that. Um, and with that comes MobX itself and then MobX React Lite. Re MobX React Lite is uh, basically it supports a hooks-like syntax for, for sharing state. And then for sharing the stores, the MobX state tree stores throughout the app, we use context. So the use context hook, uh, we use that everywhere with providers and stuff. So that's how we kind of get, get things, uh, get data all the, wired up all the way through the app and then re-render when we need to. Let's see, what else do we use uh, in there? We also have um, we also have React Native Screens, which is kind of underlying React navigation. It allows you to do native navigation stack if you want. Um, one of the things that's interesting about React Navigation, or sorry, React Native, is that a lot of times we will we will like rebuild things that already come standard with the standard UI kit uh, under the hood. Uh, so there's a navigation solution built into both Android and iOS. Uh, there's uh, there for Android, you have activities and fragments. They're essentially like a stack, um, but you can build these little like mini apps with stacks of screens on top of them. Uh, and on iOS, you have uh, UI navigation controllers, <clears throat> tab controllers, uh, things like that, so that you can build uh, nav you know fairly complex navigation views using native components with react with react native a lot of times we we end up rebuilding that stuff because we want to work in the javascript layer we don't want to be working in objective c we don't want to be working in java um, and so we rebuild a lot of those things and that's what react navigation did was that it, it kind of built its own stack its own handlers its own gesture handlers which was great uh, for keeping everything in the javascript side of things but uh, performance-wise, you know, there's there's a lot of performance optimizations built into the UI kit and and uh, Android activity uh, and fragments, uh, and so um, these performance optimizations are things like uh, let's say that you have a stack of like I don't know ten screens, it's only going to hang on to the top two or three. Uh, the ones underneath are going to be deallocated for memory purposes and performance purposes. Um, and so when you look at your stack, you're not seeing like all these, all these screens kind of hanging out in memory, maybe holding onto a bunch of references to a bunch of stuff. It's going to actually deallocate those things and get rid of them. And then once you pop like screens off of the stack and start getting back to the previous screens, it'll actually reload them behind the scenes so that uh, it looks like they've been there all along. So this is kind of cool. By the way, one of the reasons I know so much about this is I built a navigation library for, for native apps uh, way back in the day. That's cool. um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, that was something I had to, had to learn a lot about, but yeah, react native screens then gives you uh, some of that capability back. So it actually brings some of the native uh, capability back to react navigation and then allows you to hook into that. Oh yeah. So yeah, when I first did my react, when I made my first, first react native app, I did like a blocky job and it was slow and I was like, Oh man, like, did I break react native? Is it me? You know, and I like, and I'm glad you brought up the performance optimizations because I was doing things wrong, you know, rendering lists and whatnot. But it led me down the path of kind of researching navigation and React Navigation 
does mention on their site because it is a JavaScript. It's working on that JavaScript thread and having to go across the bridge and there's performance opportunities if you use native navigation. When you ran into that issue, were you guys in the middle of like an app with React navigation and you were seeing the issues of slowing down or is it because your history you kind of saw it coming and you were able to jump on that the native navigation path first? It was always, uh, yeah, I, it, it, this was always something we were a little concerned about because we did come from native development. We did both web and native development. Um, and so we were always a little concerned about it. It's like, wait a minute here. Uh, we're pushing all these things onto the stack and they're not being deallocated. Like this is something we're used to happening on, on the iOS and Android side. And so I would say it's more that we saw it coming. We didn't really experience it in apps, which was, which was kind of the argument of the React navigation team is that like you only have a performance problem when you have a performance problem. You know, tell me if you, uh, to tell me if you actually like, like run into one <laughs> and then we'll look at it. It was basically kind of the, the response and, and that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, but when react native screens came about, you know, when it, when it came through, then it was like, okay, well this provides the underlying hooks into the native navigation layer. And then uh, the JavaScript side can remain pretty simple. Now, there are some uh, there are some downsides to using na native uh, navigation stack. Uh, you have less control over it. Basically, is the big thing. Like you can, you you kind of have to live in their world. You have to deal with their API. You can't uh, totally customize it like you could on the JavaScript side. But yeah, that was definitely something that when it came along, it, it answered a lot of questions because we. We experimented with React Native navigation by Wix, and that one takes a different approach where they're going to try to hook into the native libraries and use those as much as possible. A little harder to set up, a lot less flexible, but very performant. Uh, that's essentially kind of where, where we landed on it. We did try it on one screen, or sorry, we did try it on one app rather, uh, and the app went fine, um, but in the end, it didn't seem like it was supported as well as react navigation i don't think uh, there's quite as much activity on it uh, there's not as much development happening with it um, there's not as much documentation not as much not as many blog posts so from our standpoint to mitigate risk it made more sense to go through react navigation and then when react native screens came around then it was kind of a no-brainer because now we get the benefit of having the the native navigation the native navigation stack and also have all the flexibility and awesomeness and support and everything that React Navigation brings. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about G2i. I got a couple of MobX state tree questions. Uh, I know Infinite Red has talked about this a number of times, but mm -hmm. um, you know, Redux is very, very common. What is it that y'all prefer about MobX state tree? Yeah, so uh, I gave actually three talks about this this year. Um, I gave one in at React Native EU. So if you're listening to this, go ahead and check that out. I gave one at uh, React 
live Amsterdam, where I actually live coded on stage a uh, an Ignite app, and um, I uh, I showed how to use this stuff. Um, so I think uh, there were a few big things that kind of came out of Redux. One was uh, the amount of boilerplate. I think this is a common complaint where people are like, ah, you know, we're having to touch a lot of files, a lot of different lines of code just to add one property or something like that. Another was performance. Um, you can make performant uh, Redux apps for sure, but the it's not it's not like the happy path all the time. Like you have to really think about how you model your 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 you know like your your data um, and how you're consuming it and in how things are going to re-render. Where with Mobix State Tree, especially with Mobix React or Mobix React Lite, Mobix React is includes a uh, basically all the features of Mobix React Lite, but it also supports class syntax, where Mobix React Lite only supports function components with hooks. So just keep that in mind. So Mobix React or Mobix React Lite uh, gives you ridiculously good performance right out of the box without having to think about it at all. Uh, you just you just use it, and it's going to be performant pretty much in 95% of the cases. When it's not, it's super easy to fix. So those were, were a big deal. Now, a lot of times you're going to be hearing like MobX or MobX React or MobX State Tree. What are the differences? Uh, MobX is just the engine underneath it. it. It provides a set of functions and capabilities to basically observe values and then uh, call a function when something changes. And then, so it's a really simple thing, but it's very unopinionated. To use it, you'd have to have uh, a pretty good understanding of how you want to do this. Or you just use Mobix State Tree, which gives you sort of that Redux like framework around it. Um, and Mobix State Tree gives you things like uh, you can define your properties and you can define what types they are and their runtime types, not not like TypeScript, but the runtime types. They'll actually check the values that are being put into your models. So, like in Christopher's app, if you were to try to put a number in for his note, um, which is supposed to be a string, it will tell you, "Hey, you're putting in the wrong value here," which is really helpful, especially when you're That's consuming cool. APIs. Was that Christopher? That's really cool. That's a nice property. That's a nice like uh, benefit to have to that. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. We think so. And and you can also infer your TypeScript types from those runtime types. So uh, you're not having to type things twice. You just say types dot string or types dot number. And then uh, when and you, it also gives you actions. So the actions can be either like lifecycle actions. Um, thinking in terms of like uh, after create, for example, is one that gets fired. And you can just do stuff like after you create a, an instance of this model, now do something. Uh, and Josh, you've done Rails. So this is kind of active record-ish where you can create these hooks and have them run uh, after you create a model or something like that. And then uh, you can also do custom actions. And those are used all the time because the only place you can modify or mutate a model is from an action. So you can't mutate it outside of that. So think of an action as being a Redux action and reducer together, but you're just using dot syntax to set things. So you're, you're like, I want my, my user dot uh, name to equal new name, right? So you just pass in the new name and it'll mutate it using the dot syntax. But inside the action, because you're only mutating in the action, it now knows to fire off, hey, let's go uh, update anywhere that dot name is being used. And that's, that's the, the, MobX React part of it because it can observe where it's being used in a React compute in a React component and allow you to um, re-render only those components that consume those properties. 
Um, and then there's also views, which are basically computed views or computer properties if you've done like Ember, where you take the data that's already inside the model and you mutate it in some way. So for example, let's say you have a first name and a last name and you want a view that is full name, right? You just take first name, space, last name, you know, or whatever, however you're gonna mutate it and return that. What's really cool about that is it also watches that. So if you use dot full name somewhere, if first name or last name change, it will re-render that component uh, because it knows what properties are composed to create that computed uh, view. Um, if you're a beginner, maybe some of the stuff might come across a little bit like uh, a little too complex for you. And I understand that, but, uh, but honestly, it's not that difficult. You can go check out my talks. I think we'll probably link to it in the show notes here. And, uh, and I try to explain it in a little more simple detail. And there's also, uh, there's code, there's lots of code on the screen. So you can, you can look at it and see what I'm talking about. Yeah. And part of the value of a boilerplate and a, a CLI like this is that you don't have to understand all those details. You can go with a recommendation like y'all have for Monix state three. One question about boilerplates. So I know that y'all have a few different boilerplates or setups for projects and Ignite Bowser is the latest one that I see in there that has React Navigation, a MobX state tree and TypeScript. Uh, is that boilerplate pretty much set and static at this point or is it evolving or do you see a, a third one that starts with the letter C uh, coming anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we do intend to create another one uh, called Cyberdemon actually. So these are named after video game villains, uh, Cyberdemon from Doom. Uh, we had Bowser from, uh, from from Mario. It's this is uh, this is totally uh, one of those things that is an internal debate all the time in at Infinite Red. Like, when do we create a new uh, boilerplate? The thing is, Bowser's working really well for us, so uh, it doesn't really make sense to to make too many drastic changes. Um, the the it has evolved a lot though especially this year like we've committed more to uh ignite this year than we have in any previous year uh, we're actually continuously uh, updating it and i think some of the big things we went to hooks across the board so like for local state you're using hooks for app state you're still using mobx state tree but we're using mobx react Lite, which only supports hooks uh, so we're like all in on the hook side of things with it um, you can always go with class components if you just move from MobX React Lite to MobX React. And uh, we've made some other changes like file structure was a little too complicated. When we first built it, um, we were trying to go with more of a domain driven design and we've gradually backed off from that and made it more and more flat and easier to use um, for for beginners. Uh, I think that actually the, the folder structure is pretty strong right now. Like there, there's not too much there that I'm kind of like that's jarring to me anymore. I feel I feel pretty good about where it's at. And we're just kind of like gradually, uh, you know, updating, fixing, simplifying, uh, making sure it works the right way. The one of the big things for Cyberdemon that we want to do is a little more of a component library. Uh, so there's one built into Ignite, but it's not super useful. It's just kind of things like, hey, here's a cool button that allows you to do internationalization and stuff built in, which is cool. But uh, it wasn't like it wasn't like using React Native Elements or something like that. So we're actually looking at building a little more of that into it. But um, but the the general idea be behind that is going to be quite different than than React Native Elements. So that would be a Cyberdemon thing. That would not be a Bowser thing. Uh, but most likely, if we went to Cyberdemon, we would keep a lot of the elements that worked well in Bowser, like MobX State Tree and TypeScript. Cool. Anything else about your stack you want to uh, talk about while we're on the topic? 
I think uh, the only thing lacking was really talking about the UI library. So I basically would build things um, from scratch. So I would use the built-in uh, styling and build and build the the components myself. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to go, but that's what I would do at this point. Um, I, hopefully, at some point, if Ignite UI, which is what we're calling the the, the new UI library, comes through, then maybe I would use that. But yeah, that's that's the the front end what I would use. I have a question about UI libraries for both of you, actually. Um, I am one of the worst visual designers ever. And so I definitely reach for those off-the-shelf solutions because um, it's just so challenging to me. And it's not the part of side projects, especially to get exciting for me. Now, for client work, um, we'll go with what the, the designs of the app uh, demand. And when I have designs working off of, like I'll create them from scratch and that's great. But I'm curious for both of you, like, uh, Jamin, what is it that even for like a hobby project makes you reach for building it from scratch? And Chris, what made you uh, reach for native base? And if you just use it off the shelf or if you find yourself wanting to tweak its look and feel at all? Yeah, I think for me, it's just familiarity um, uh, with, I, I don't have a lot of familiar with, familiarity with the other UI libraries out there. And so I just build it. Also, I, this project that I was doing earlier this year was a little bit of a learning project too. And I didn't want to short circuit some of the front end stuff because that's actually what I'm not very good at. I'm I'm more of a, I'm like you, Josh, I'm more of a backend dev, to be honest, uh, having to learn more front end because that's the way the world is, is going. But uh, I'm much more comfortable in the data layer than I am on the UI. Yeah. And for me, uh, it's a little bit of an awkward world because a lot of the stuff I get to do is um, contract work, you know, so uh, the reason I kind of grab for UI toolkit is because, you know, it kind of stops that idea of reinventing the wheel. And they are both, uh, you know, native base and React Native Elements and Paper are, you know, great libraries that have been kind of battle tested. And that's why I'll choose those. And specifically native base for this instance, I really liked it because they have, you know, I think React Native Elements has it as well. But the familiarity uh, with the theme generation with native base is like super simple. And um, in Baird, they have this idea where you can actually choose your theme. So if you want like a light or a dark theme, they have like eight or nine you can choose from based on what package you have. And I thought it would be cool in this instance, like if I ever get to it, you know, this is obviously like an iterative process, but you can create multiple theme files and then based on your logic, you know, point to that theme file and your whole app will change pretty simply just driven off of one file. I like the feel and the opportunity to be able to do that. That's cool, you know, using Bear and taking advantage of the themes that obviously seems like a perfect fit for that theming functionality. Um, you know, sometimes when it's an app by a company, maybe an e-commerce app, I'm like, uh, do I really need themes? But yeah, for a utility app where you're working in it day to day, the, the benefits that some of these libraries provide for theming are really nice. One other case that I can think of when it comes to picking a UI approach, I mentioned uh, doing things from scratch on client work, uh, reaching for these UI toolkits for hobby apps. Um, when I'm doing teaching, like tutorials, workshops, um, I will generally use the built-in UI components as well, um, partially because the look and feel is usually not the big emphasis at that point. Um, also, I do a lot of uh, teaching on testing and, you know, being able to look things up, um, look up form elements, you know, buttons, text fields to interact with can be different when you're using a UI library. It can be a bit more indirect. And so to teach that in the most straightforward way, I like to use just the built-in text inputs and buttons and things like that and then let people um, add the UI layer on top when they're ready for it. Yeah, I should mention that Josh uh, taught our testing workshop at Chain React this year, which is our conference in Portland in July. 
uh, did a great job, had amazing reviews. Uh, so good job on that, Josh. Uh, we really loved having you there and we're hoping to have you back next year for another testing workshop. So everybody keep an eye out. Josh is an awesome teacher. If you're interested in learning more about React Native testing, um, keep an eye out for, for that. Yeah, thanks, Jim. And I, I hope to be back as well, for sure. So Ooh, I have another approach. <laughs> Go ahead. Please. So um, I've, I was looking, I'm trying to remember when it was, and maybe Jamin remembers this, but um, I was looking at putting together an app for devchat.tv. And so I reached out to Infinite Red and uh, I had a conversation with Jamin and I think one or two other people over there. And uh, they basically told me that the app budget was, you know, not what they were looking for, which makes sense. They know their business, but uh, they recommended that I go and pick up a template um, off of the internet for the kind of app I wanted. And so I went and picked that up and I just kind of wound up with whatever they had. And so, you know, it's not necessarily a well-documented uh, toolkit, but it is kind of a, a way to get started as well, where you essentially, um, you, you pick up, you know, you pick up something and then you just kind of go with what you, what you wind up with. So. Yeah, I'm interested to hear how that the how your experience was on that Chuck. Was it did it end up being like you were able to get done when you needed to get done with it? So I'm still working on it, but still working on it is essentially I haven't even gotten the app to run yet. So oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tried to run it uh, using the instructions that they sent me, and it keeps failing. I think it's on the React Native Video library. It's not mm. linking it properly. Yeah. Um, Native so. native uh, integrations can be a, a real bear, um, and that's something that uh, like all third party packages seem to kind of struggle with, uh, or at least the ones with native dependencies. And I know that we do too. Like there are some situations where people are filing issues and saying, "Hey, your just default like Ignite New is not working." We we look into it and try to fix it, but but you know React Native's upgrade process uh, will sometimes break things. That uh, they just change linking. Uh, you know, which uh, I think Christopher talked about. Um, so it's the, these are things that definitely have to stay on top of. Yeah. And I think, I think what happened was uh, I had like a deprecated NPM package. And so I ran NPM audit fix and I think it pushed one of the versions up and then it's not playing nicely. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've only been playing with it off and on for a little while and uh Yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly what the story is there, but yeah, it, yeah. it definitely doesn't like me. So I think there's one, just one other point on this. Um, there's sort of a trade-off you have to make between, are you going to try to make it uh, a boilerplate, like super easy to build hobby projects in or like side projects or one person projects, or are you going to make it more like this is a really good base for an agency to build an app over the course of six months, right? And yeah. it's a very different use case. Mm -hmm. We're trying to hit kind of in between there where like it's easy enough to get started, but you can like our developer, our development team would still want to use it. But that's a really tough thing to try to hit you know, both of those things. Uh, and I actually, I'm a, I'm a big fan of native base. I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, well, of course, Expo. Expo is, is awesome. It's super cool. In fact, we're currently working on uh, supporting Expo with Ignite because I, we feel like that's a big missing piece. Um, and that would make it a lot more accessible to, to newbies because Expo, you don't have to like set up Android Studio and Xcode and all your paths and everything don't have to be all set up. You can just run it and it works. Uh, so 
hoping to support that at some point here. Hope maybe even this week. I can definitely identify with the tension of not knowing how many opinions to put into it or not. I know I have a, just a little a command line program to bootstrap my own uh, React Native apps using my preferences. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put these libraries in. Every React Native app I create is going to have these libraries. And then the next one that I create is like, oh, I, 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 two of them I don't actually need after all. So it's, it's hard to find that sweet spot. Yeah. So what, what would you uh, what would you use, Josh? I'd l- I'm really interested to, to hear your stack. Yeah, especially yeah. with that app. I'm really, oh, I, I know we had the idea of these three uh, libraries, but now I'm curious to see what your whole stack is. Yeah. Um, so I, it, 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 like I said, it differs from project to project. Um, th- this latest one, it's so funny. I, I've bandied around this for years, but I'm finally creating my own to-do list app. The stereotypical, like out of the box. Um, but <laughs> I'm, you know, some people are really opinionated about their mail reader, others people about their calendar. But for me, it's to-do apps. It's like, I need my to-do app to be like just perfect. And so now I'm creating it. Um, it's funny because, you know, having to build all the features yourself, you end up with a much simpler approach to to-dos because I don't want to have to build the new features yet. Maybe I'll defer it. Um, so maybe I'm managing my to-dos in a better way as a result. Uh, but yeah, it's just very simple um, uh, to-dos so far. I, I'll say first, one of the unique things about it, um, you know, sometimes I look for opportunities to use different libraries I want to try out that I haven't done before. And I try to like select a hobby app project based on that. And other times I just wait to see an app that I feel like I need. Um, and this time it's kind of overlapped. Um, with to-dos in particular, I would really love good offline support and syncing support. Like I would love to be able to pull it up and have my to-dos already in um, from the last time I loaded it. Um, on my computer, I'll have the app up on the web. And so I'm, I'm creating a React Web app as well as a React Native app. Um, I'm not using any of like Expo's React Native web functionality or anything. Like I wanted to build like React for the web in the normal way. So it's two separate apps in that way. But like if I make a change on one platform, I want it to get synchronized down and pulled in on the other platform. And so to get this functionality, I'm going with a, a uh, not very well-known uh, data layer. It's Orbit.js. Um, so this is, uh, works with the JSON API uh, data spec. Um, so it's, it's not in the GraphQL world that a lot of us play in a lot of the time. Um, but I've, uh, I've really loved working with JSON API like for kind of CRUD-like operations where you're creating and reading and updating and deleting. Like it works really well. And Orbit in particular is really well set up to have, um, it, it, it's, it's based around the idea of separate data stores. And so you say, okay, I have my in-memory data store and I have my backup data store. You call it whatever you like, but like I have my backup data store that's like storing uh, in local storage in the browser. And then I have a remote data store that's a, a JSON API web service that I'm pulling data from and writing data to. And you kind of, dec- it's this declarative concept that React developers will love. You know, you declare the relationships and the data flows between these sources, and then you just create or update a record. And the, those transformations flow around automatically um, between these different pieces. So I haven't gotten a chance to play with Orbit before, so I'm really excited to try it out. One of the things that I've, I've run into actually is that the... Um, the offline storage APIs like local storage and index DB that exist on the web, uh, those are different in React Native. And so async storage by React Native uh, community that Chris mentioned is the typical uh, resource for offline storage on React Native. And there's not an Orbit async storage integration written yet. And so I'm looking forward to trying this some more. Basically on the web, I'm going to try out the offline storage and see if it works well for my application's use case. And if it, if it works well, and I'm like, oh, I, I really wish I had this on native, I might try to implement uh, an adapter for React Native for async storage because um, that would really allow me to uh, explore it some more. 
But again, because it is a side project, I'm not quite ready to to um, to, to shave that yak just yet. Um, but so yeah, so so Orbit JS is what I'm using for the data layer, and yeah, that idea of the offline aspects of it is something that I'm really uh, hoping to explore that I haven't gotten to do before. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Some of the other packages that I use, um, incidentally, I really love that the React Native community has a default ESLint config. I think when Lorenzo was a guest, I mentioned that as well. But all my projects on any uh, JavaScript platform have ESLint and Prettier for formatting. And so the fact that React Native uh, with React Native CLI has that out of the box and a default configuration, I just really love that, um, sticking with that uh, by default. Um, I got to throw in testing as well. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny. Some folks would ask, like, hey, just for a little silly high, high, side project, would you really need testing? Uh, would you really? I'm, I'm doing test-driven development, actually. Um, you know, is that really necessary? And the interesting thing that I found is even for a little hobby side projects, I want to be able to keep my dependencies up to date. Like I want to pull down the new versions when there's security fixes and new features. And, you know, I, I like to not have to click all the way through my app to make sure that everything's still working. Like um, I use a, a service called Dependabot that will automatically notify me um, when there's new versions, the packages come out. There's a few different services like that. Uh, but Dependabot was actually required by GitHub. So that service will put up um, a PR whenever a dependency is updated. And when I've got automated tests running, um, CI will tell me if it's good to merge that down to that dependency or not. And so, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit of a kind of, you know, you don't have to keep all your hobby, hobby projects updated with the very latest versions, but it's kind of fun for me to see that run. It's kind of like gamified, like software updates. It's like, ooh, cool, it's green. Like I've got a new, new version of something. So that, that's one motivation that I put in testing in place um, even on my side projects. And, and as I've plugged before, um, I use Detox for end-to-end -end testing by Wix. Um, and I use React Native Testing Library by Callstack for my component testing. No, I think it's really cool that you did that step in a hobby project because if we're you know talking to people, maybe junior levels or those who are just trying to get into React Native, if you build these kind of habits at home, they're just going to translate into the workplace and they're good habits to have. Yeah, and it was definitely useful to be able to come onto a client project and say, hey, oh, you're, you're using Enzyme? Like, I use React Native Testing Library, but Enzyme is working well so far. And like, here's what I've learned about component testing. Here's when I would do it. Here's the trade-offs. And um, so for me, because it's something I get excited about, it was, it was great to just kind of learn some on the side and have that ready to go um, as soon as I got on a client project. Um, and yeah, I'd encourage that as well. Like, you know, for hobby projects, sometimes, you know, you can have all kinds of different motivations. You might want to launch the project and try to make money with it. That's awesome. Um, you might want to scratch an itch and like build your the to-do app or the note-taking app that you want to have that has meets your needs. And so if that's the case, maybe you just focus on the functionality. Um, but if you're wanting to kind of get, like I was saying, like try out libraries you haven't tried before or kind of experiment with something or a certain approach, uh, maybe you haven't used MobX State Tree before. And so you want to start an app from scratch and see how it benefits you. Because, you know, switching an existing app over to a new data layer would be a lot of work and a lot of cost. But starting a new trivial side project app to try out a library and see the feel, um, you, you will get the experience of what it's like at scale right away. You'll get a taste for it. And so you'll get to see, hey, for my hobby project, like, you know, a couple of weeks working on this, so far, signs are looking good for this library. Or so far, I'm already experiencing some pain points with this library. Maybe we, we wouldn't want to go with it during my full-time job. Yeah, I've, I've checked out your, your native up um, CLI. And one thing I that's super compelling, because I, I am a lot of times the, the person kind of 
supporting Ignite CLI. Um, one of the things that's super compelling about your script is that it is just its simplicity. Um, like you go into the, the binary and you can read through what it's doing and it's really simple to follow the path. Where with Ignite, we have a lot more power under the hood, um, but the uh, some it's a little bit, sometimes a little bit difficult to follow, like where, where are things coming through from, where, where's code running? Uh, there's just a lot more to it. Um, and so uh, you've done a really great job of, of keeping it simple and like here are the things that, we're, here are the dependencies we're adding, here are the different pieces we need to, to update. Um, uh, and then your, your template is very simple and straightforward. I, I like how you have this set up for sure. Yeah, I, sh I should mention it. I'm not specifically looking to plug it or anything like that. It's mostly just for my own purposes, but mm -hmm. I do enough hobby apps and like teaching apps um, that having a script to, to bootstrap apps for me works well. I, I have one for my Rails APIs. I have one for my React web apps as well. And I just kind of tweak it. Um, and, uh, you know, something I learned from folks I've worked with is, you know, sometimes like the fact that I have to comment stuff out, out of my script and that things aren't always quite the same is not necessarily a problem. Um, some folks over at ThoughtBot that talked about their setup script um, back in the day would say, hey, I personally don't even actually run the setup script. I, I look at it to see what approach we look. And I run the command line commands individually one at a time to tweak them. Um, you know, not everybody needs to do that, certainly. But like just having the standard of like, hey, if I don't want to think about it, um, I'm kind of recording here for myself or maybe for my team, maybe for my company. Like here's a way to set up an app that worked at a point in time. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, rather than just kind of taking notes on like, oh, here's the libraries I've used. Like if you put it in a bash script, like it's runnable, it's ex executable. Um, so it can kind of save you a little bit of effort. Um, even if you know you're going to need to update it every single time you run it, um, it can kind of be fun to automate in a very low level way. Um, you know, it's not trying to be a CLI that you continue to use during your development process the way Ignite is. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for me, it was, it was mainly just from a, it really coming from the standpoint I just said, where it's like, oh, I just want to save myself setup time. Like the simplest thing to do is to do a bash script because I already know bash a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's you know, you know, there's these different levels of abstraction, just like we talked about in the last episode. And, uh, you know, having options like Ignite, options like Expo that works in sort of a different way and hopefully they'll be able to work together just gives you options for the kind of project that you want to run. Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah. Oh, oh go ahead. Oh, uh, Chris, I was about to, to talk to mention another library. So if you wanted to continue on that train of thought, go for it. I, I was just going to say for those who aren't, it's really cool because like you said, it kind of taps into those options for those, you know, obviously if you're listening, you, you're not seeing it. But when you're starting the app, it gives you, I think it looks like an option to select either React Native CLI or Expo and kind of goes through a list of libraries like Formic, yep, and then React Navigation. So I thought that was really cool because it is kind of like your yes and no, and it kind of gives you like, you know, what you want based on your answers. So um, I don't know what if you're going to expand on styling right now, but I'll let you go ahead now. I, I am. Yes, going to expand on styling. So I, I mentioned <laughs> that um, I like to use off the shelf uh, tools. Uh, I've used React Native Elements for React Native projects before, and I really like it. This time I reached for React Native Paper by CallStack, um, which implements Google's Material UI. And the reason why was because for my web app, um, there's material UI libraries for the web as well. And so I wanted the web version and the native version to look similar and work similar. Um, you know, because they're different projects, they have a different API. So it's not certainly the code doesn't come over automatically. So I'm kind of learning two different uh, sets of components, and, but that's okay. I'm doing this to learn. Um, 
one of the interesting things about Material UI, and, and maybe if, if y'all have used it, you can fill me in. You know, I, I have an iPhone, not an Android phone, so I'm not in uh, materially designed apps all the time. And something I've been hesitant about is like, I don't know, I haven't been motivated yet because of how little design chops I have. I haven't been motivated yet to read Google's material design specs to hear like how they recommend for things to be used. I'm just like hacking and slashing, like just getting something on the screen and getting it working. And like one thing in particular for navigation, like I know React navigation looks like on iOS, what I'm used to on iOS, like those uh, uh, stack navigation. Uh, I forget what they're called in the native code, but like stack navigators effectively. But I'm not even sure what what navigation patterns are like in Material UI. So do y'all know, would y'all use React Navigation with React Native Paper or do you handle navigation differently when you're using uh, Material Design? Uh, I think, it, I'm not sure either. I thought Android always kind of leaned towards the drawer navigation. I'm not 100% sure, like drawer or tab. It seems like, I'm not really sure though. And drawer meaning it slides out from the side? Yeah, uh, which I you know I see a lot because you know it, you know a lot of the Android phones have that back button, which like you know when you're coming in React Native, you're like, oh, there's a back button, you know, because I have an right. iPhone and I've I've never had an Android phone, so when I yeah. came across that, I was like, oh, what? Like you know, I was totally just thrown off by it. <laughs> I'm also an iPhone daily driver, um, but I did recently get a, a Pixel Two uh, and start using it around the house, uh, just you know on Wi-Fi. Um, and it's been been helpful. But one of the things I think that's changed in the last few years is that a lot of apps are custom designed and don't really follow material design at all. They don't follow iOS design patterns at all. They, they have their own feel. I think that in the early days, especially the UI guidelines and sort of the look and feel of having a native um, iPhone app or native Android app were super important. Because people didn't, uh, developers and designers didn't really understand how to use this new medium, this this touch-oriented uh, medium, where now that's a little more of a solved problem, and people know how to design for that. So when our designers get a new project, they're not looking at material design, they're not looking at the iOS, um, you know, human human interface guidelines specifically for for how to do this stuff. Although obviously the human interface guidelines are still important, um, but uh, a lot of times it's it's a custom design thing, and it actually looks the same on both Android and iOS. Now you do have to deal with the back button, like Christopher said, but uh, the the you know the overall look and feel. Uh, has, is really going away from being so material-oriented, uh, in, in my opinion. Google obviously still uses it internally for all their apps, but when I'm using apps, like if I go on my Pixel and I open Reddit, for example, it's, it's, not, it's not really material design. Yeah, and I think that makes sense once, you know, these platforms are, they've been around for 10 years or more, and you know, none of those conventions are established. Designer, people or designers who, unlike me, know these things, can choose what conventions to follow and what to go outside of because there's a common starting point that they're intentionally diverging from. It's just like, you know, before, you, you know, I, I can draw something, you know, just art that looks crazy like Picasso, but like Picasso, unlike me, could actually do really, you know, realistic looking art. And so for him, it was a choice. Whereas for me, it would be, I'm not a good artist, so I just draw boxes and crazy shapes. Um, so in the same way, designers who are talented designers know what iOS apps look like and what Android apps look like. And they, they design a custom experience that is fits or diverges from those conventions for a reason. 
Um, so yeah, your, your, your reasoning makes sense to me, Jamin, that there's, there's leeway now from the maturity platforms to diverge. Yeah. So I guess to, I didn't realize I just didn't answer your question, but yeah, I would probably use React Navigation with Material UI. I don't really see a big problem with it. I don't think there's anyone out there that's like Material UI, like righteous, like crazy about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that is a good, that does help my comfort level. Like I didn't know if all the, the experienced Material UI developers you get, you get shamed by the material community <laughs> exactly for my one star personal project you know um i will mention uh, just an, another thing in passing um i did go with react native cli for this project um i don't need any of the native integrations at this point so expo would have run just fine um but because i'm using detox for end-to-end -end testing automation uh you know a, a react native cli app is what's natively efficiently supported by detox and there have been efforts to make Detox work with Expo in the past with various levels of uh, success, but they're not first party supported by Wix. And so just to make sure that that was a really good experience for me um, is why I stuck with React Native CLI in my case. Yeah, I wish that uh, we had a, uh, a few more options on the, well, just across the board on the testing side, but um, primarily with, uh, with integration testing. Detox is is great, and I really appreciate the the work that the Wix team has put into it. Um, but there are some limitations uh, that Wix doesn't need; uh, they they don't need to support. And so, from that standpoint, um, you're kind of left to either do it yourself or you know just kind of go without. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I wish there was a little more. I know. Um, Appium uh, is is a, a very common uh, alternative. One of the big things with Appium is that you can run it on device farms. You can uh, you can do real like full integration testing where you're actually doing like visual regression testing and other cool stuff like that. Um, but Appium is notoriously flaky, notoriously difficult to work with, and uh, because of that, actually, I think that's why Detox even came to be was because of how flaky uh, Appium was. It's, it's black box testing, you know, it doesn't have any insight into the internals. It's just tapping things on the screen and seeing if they, they respond. So I would say that the integration testing story for React Native is probably a little incomplete at this point. I wish that it was a little better than it is. I think this has been a good discussion. We've got a lot of breadth for the libraries we use and, and why um, to give people ideas and ways they could think about. Uh, do you all have any final thoughts before we head to picks? No, I don't. I think I'm good. All right, let's go to picks. Chris, do you have any picks for us today? Uh, yeah, so um, I'll have to link it. I Like I said, I got a MacBook Pro recently, and uh, you know, one of the things I got, you know, I thought, I was like, oh, man, like my, my last laptop I had for like seven years. So there was just seven years of just, you know, setup and experimentation and stuff. So I was like, how am I going to translate this or, you know, transport this environment? And what do I really want? And what do I really need? So... I found a real good article for setup and really help expedite the process. So I'll have to link it on Medium right now. And uh, that's pretty much my pick for this week. Jamin, do you have any picks? Yeah, so uh, mine is a little less fun. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, there's, a, there's an article by Doug Rickert uh, on Medium called Software Libraries Are Terrifying. And um, it's probably an argument against the sort of dependent flow, which I also love, by the way, Josh, uh, I do that with my libraries as well. Um, but this, uh, this article kind of shows the downside to 
this sort of widespread sharing of libraries and open source where people can inject things and you just would never really know to look at the the, the diffs even. So uh, it's about a three minute read, totally well worth doing just so you're informed. Um, I highly recommend people click through in the show notes, check out that article, read it, uh, realize why <laughs> software libraries are a little bit terrifying. Uh, but then there are also at the very end, there are also some some pretty practical tips for for kind of protecting yourself against that. That's awesome. In the NPM ecosystem in particular, you know, there have been in the last few years some big vulnerabilities that came out. So I think all JavaScript developers, it's, it's incumbent on us to learn uh, about these things and as a community uh, to find uh, better ways to be more secure. So thanks so much for that recommendation. Chuck, how about you? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple. So I did mention um, the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's out in paperback now. I am currently working on the audiobook version that should come out uh, the beginning of next year. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, my other pick is also uh, a little bit self-serving in the sense that uh, we've had a little bit of slowdown with the sponsorships. I mean, I'm working hard. I'm talking to a bunch of people. I'm just, you know, I expect some stuff to land here within the next couple of days. But if you want to help us kind of build up a little bit more of a buffer and be a little bit more resilient, you can. Um, if you go to devchat.tv, you should get a pop-up that um, basically has a button for buy me a coffee. And buy me a coffee is sort of like Patreon. Um, it's a lot simpler. I, I tend to like it a little bit better. Um, and so if you want to just uh, go in and just uh, give us five bucks a month, honestly, that would really help out. Um, you can also uh, go to buymeacoffee.com slash, I think it's devchat.tv. Just a second, let me get the link. Yeah, uh, buymeacoffee.com slash devchat.tv and you can just uh, go and, and donate that way as well. And it does accept monthly payments. So if you want to do that, that uh, like I said, that would really help out. Um, eventually, I'd like to get it set up for all the shows and that way we can give some of that money back to our hosts. But uh, for right now, yeah, we're just trying to get things uh, stabilized there. So anyway, that those are my picks. I just have one pick for this week. Um, it's editor snippets in your code editor, whichever one you use. Um, pretty much all of them these days have the functionality to set up snippets. So some code uh, that you use a lot, uh, you can set it up with the shortcuts. You can just type in the shortcut name and it'll fill in the snippet for you. Um, a lot of them even support uh, placeholders. So if there's a couple places in the snippet that you are often editing, um, it'll just let you tab through them quickly. So these have been around for a long time in editors. I didn't get into them until very recently. Um, a past computer I had had some kind of voodoo curse and was always breaking and IT was always having to replace it. And so I did like almost no machine customization at that point. Just I wanted to stock everything. But now that my machine's running a bit better, uh, I have a little more of a stable environment. I've really found the benefit there of those snippets when you're just repeating things over and over again. This kind of fits into the themes of the discussion uh, today. Like if you're not using a tool like Ignite that has a generator to generate uh, commonly used kind of types of components and types of files, or even if you are, but you find there's something smaller that you're repeating a lot of the time, you know, just taking a little bit of time to set up a snippet. It's, it's just so simple to do it in Atom, in Visual Studio Code, I'm sure in other editors as well. So I'd recommend for anyone to look into it. Even a curmudgeon like me has had a good experience with it. It was very simple. So I think that's it for this week. Uh, Jamin, thanks again for joining. Looking forward to having you in future weeks and, and, and talking together. And I think that was a really helpful discussion. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thanks everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.